coming up soon, uh, we're going back to Samson on our Sunday night and Wednesday night services. But we'll finish up with the crowns this Sunday night, probably, or Wednesday. We'll see the evening services. And then we'll go into Samson, and I'm giving a sales pitch for the study of Samson. You'll know whether Jesus Christ had long hair or not when we get through the first three verses in uh, Judges chapter 13. And you'll know uh, a lot more about the particulars about Samson's birth. You'll know a little more about the virgin birth, Jesus Christ's birth, and how it coincided with Samson's. There's all kinds of interesting stuff. It just gets really neat. I'd be glad to share that with you in the evening services after we get the crowns out of the way. And the study on crowns is where we'll be probably this evening, and then we'll have a little communion service afterwards. But turn in your Bibles, if you would, right now to Numbers, the book of Numbers, let's see here, 21, chapter 21. This is took place as the Israelites were uh, ancient Hebrew people, the children of Israel, uh, verse 22 of the ch preceding chapter, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 22 tells you about the children of Israel and that they're just finishing up their uh, uh, their track through the wilderness, and they approached the land of the Canaanites and uh, had a great victory in battle there in chapter 21. Aaron died, the, would be probably the deacon of the early uh, church there. Uh, he just died back in verse 22 of the preceding chapter. But uh, we'll pick it up with the classical story of the fiery serpents. Very interesting uh, when we get into the fiery ser ser serpents. Let's read tw chapter 21, verse, we'll start in verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Horeb by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye bought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And they were talking here, I'll interrupt myself just briefly. Global warming was taking effect there, and they were crossing uh, the, one of the hardest parts of the country. And it was a rather desert, and it was a very hot year recorded in history. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, this is right after Aaron departed just a few days or weeks before that. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord, against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he had behold the serpent of brass, he lived. Dear Lord, help me with the message this morning. Bless these people, and may we learn what you'd have us to take home today and apply it to our lives in Jesus' name. 
So it's a so, so, story of the fiery serpents. And I got written in my margin here, examine yourself. The people had to come to terms with themselves as they compared themselves to God's word. Now, when we start out the story, they don't have much regard for God's word. So in verse 5, it says, Egypt to die in the wilderness. There is no bread, neither is there any water, for our soul loatheth this light bread. They're talking about the manna that was provided from them from heaven, the very substance that eventually got them through the whole wilderness. And they were complaining about it. It's light bread. It's uh, so light it floated down from heaven. You know what that bread is? It's God's word. John chapter 6, verse 51. You can keep your hand there. We'll go back. But let's go to John chapter 6, verse 51. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in your New Testament. And John chapter 6, verse 51. 6-5-1. And Jesus Christ proclaims, I am the bread of life. Verse 48. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that is, man may eat thereof and not die. He says now in 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus Christ in Further in John chapter 1, verse 14, is compared, he says, uh, uh, he says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He compares himself to the bread. In the first part of this book of John, in chapter 1, he calls himself the word of God. The word of God was made flesh. John 1, 14, I'll read it for you. We'll just go back a couple of pages here. John 1, 14 says... As, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That Well, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's go with 114. Let's go 114. And that's where we'll end up there. So you can keep a hand in John too. But in uh, chapter 1, let me labor that point for a minute. It says, In beginning was the Word, and the Word was made with God, and the Word was was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we believed his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when they rejected that bread, they were rejecting God's word. In long term, they were rejecting Jesus Christ. And that's I always wondered, why did they have to go through this hokey pokey kind of stuff to, uh, to uh, you know, to get eternal or to survive the serpent bite? And it's, it's a, a lasting mark in history. Do you know that that emblem that you can go to the Middle East now and see a brazen serpent uh, on a pole... And it looks, and that's where the uh, medical field gets their emblem from, is this snake on a cross, kind of a pole affair. And it's an emblem of a snake there, and it's 
for medical fields, they use it for the, even the veterinarian fields, they use it. And it's a cross, and it, it shows us, it marks in history that this took place. I mean, where did they come up with that emblem? You can't argue that this thing didn't happen. You can go to Israel and see approximately where in the desert they were, and you can see the cross they erected in the original one is gone, but they erected one similar to it. Looks surprisingly a lot, lot like the medical symbol we see today. Show that to someone who doesn't believe or only believes in science. Where did that come from? All right, so we get a lot, we get a lot contrived from that symbolism, and I was always wondering why, why that? Well, a little bit about those snakes. You go to Israel today, and in that particular part of the desert, there are fiery serpents, they call them, and I give you the scientific word for them, but I don't want to look it up. But uh, the, They are highly poisonous, and they come in droves from time to time, but that's why they talk about these looking up and hanging them on a tree and all this. They had a serpent back there, too, uh, with a little different name. It's a little brown serpent. The fiery serpent's or orange and yellow, or yellow, basically, and gold. Uh, but the other serpent that hangs in the trees and falls out of the trees on the people, it's just looked like a big brown worm. And it's very harmless. But when you look up fiery serpents, you're going to get one of those two snakes as thought of. And the... the uh, the history goes, in the uh, uh, non-scriptural history, for that matter, it's the history goes that those little brown snakes were highly poisonous until this time, a time of uh, scripture. And after that, they're not poisonous now. They're considered harmless. But they continually fall out at the oasis in different places. They continually fall out of the trees on people and just part of the, the way they are. Uh, the life cycle takes them up into a tree and then they fall down and they go up the next tree and they eat on, eat on insects. And they, uh, the whole thing sh shows you that God can handle that and mark them as a reminder for us that this actually took place. This isn't kind of a neat little story in Scripture. It took place. So they have snakes there, both types. And uh, that's the way the tradition goes with it. But that's uh, not the whole core of the story. Uh, these people argued against God, and they argued against Moses. They didn't have uh, Aaron there anymore as a mediator in between it. They went straight to him. And I, one thing you note there, and I don't, I don't think, I'm not saying don't come to me, but it says, wherefore you have brought up out of Egypt us to die, in the wilderness, the people spake against God and against Moses. One point is, is these people were falling away from God's word to the point where they were criticizing the man of God and they were criticizing God himself is what happens. Okay, that was their sin. They were bitten by a sin. It's called a uh, bitten and rather than a snake. But wherefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. You see repentance there in verse 7. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Sin has its price. Sin has its penalty. Each and every one of us suffer the consequences of sin, even unto the next and the next generation. 
Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Put them both together. Pray unto the Lord that ye that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Why? Because he was the one they committed the offense against Moses and God, and he interceded on their behalf. We have a picture here of Jesus Christ. And this, this is often and often used as an example. Jesus Christ was hung on the cross for our sins. And all we have to do is look upon him to receive forgiveness for our sins. And forgiveness, eternal life we receive with that forgiveness. And the Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery servant and set it upon a pole, that it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. Why was that so simple? Because the people had already gone through repentance, had already changed their mind about their attitude towards God, God's word, and God's man, and have decided that, hey, this isn't quite what we want to be doing. Uh, there's serious consequences for all this. And uh, the Lord, in his mercy, gave them an easy way out, just like he gives us today. You can reject God's word. You can reject God's man. You can reject God's plan. You can reject uh, God's life for you. And uh, until you come to terms with him and realize that's what you're doing, you're going to die. Now, if you accept Christ and accept the fact that Jesus Christ in John 3, go to John 3, 14, 15, and 16. And that's what changed my life when I read that portion of Scripture. Oh, what's it got to do with this fiery serpent? Oh, well, let's go over there and look again. I told you, save your hand in John, John chapter 3. Verse 14 says, that whosoever, okay, John 3, 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It was a picture of salvation. Jesus Christ was hung on a pole. You read somewhere he's hung on a tree. He's hung on a cross. He was hung above heaven and earth. And the reason he was hung above heaven or below heaven and above earth was that in those times the Romans had perfected crucifixion and they were proclaiming when somebody died that they were neither fit to be live on this earth and they weren't fit to go on to the next uh, heaven. And so they hung the person to die between heaven and earth. And that was the whole point of the crucifixion. It was very painful and agonizing death. And uh, Jesus Christ took that. He took on our sin. That if all we had to do was look upon him, we'd have forgiveness. There was no pre-requirement. Those people in the desert uh, just had to look on the serpent and realize that they weren't going to earn their way to heaven, that they weren't going to take and get forgiveness of their sins by penance, that they were going to... Uh, get to heaven by the way of the cross, by the way of suffrage on a pole for mankind. And that's what was taking place there, and that's what's taking place in John 3.16. It's mentioned there in that precious summary of Scripture, John 3.16, but let's read, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to hang on that pole that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Pretty all-inclusive when it says world and all, pretty all-inclusive. He that believeth on him is not condemned. You see, Christ didn't come as a perfect example for us, although he serves as that. If he would have been the perfect example for us to live up to, we would have been judged by how close we lived and walked as Christ. And there are some religions that profess that and proclaim that. But it doesn't take a lot of faith in God's word to know whether you're living right or wrong. You just have to uh, be a moral person. You just have to uh, know the rules, so to speak. But it takes a lot of faith to believe that somebody came down to this planet and died on a pole or a cross for your sins. And that his death was vicariously a sacrifice for your sin. That takes real faith. The only faith I know that trumps that, so to speak, and I'm not trying to make a pun, but the only faith that I know that trumps that is the faith that you could believe that everything came about from an explosion. That's real faith. If you can believe and defy, and they say you're, you're uh, obedient to science, when, uh, that's the big issue nowadays, you know, follow the science. When science itself says one of the first rules of science is you can't get something from nothing. But yet they try to explain the whole universe comes into existence from nothing when it exploded. What caused the explosion? What caused? You've got to have more faith to believe in science than you do in God's word. These people lived and they lived eternal. They lived now not only in the desert, not only through times of hardship on this earth, but they lived in heaven now. Because they took God at his word and didn't make light anymore of God's purpose on this earth. His purpose on this earth, again, was John 3.16. It was the sacrifice that Jesus Christ was a sacrifice for our sin. Just like the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. Not a standard for us to live up to. A good example for us to emulate. But that's not going to get us to heaven. You can, you can grow long hair. You ever heard about the guy who, uh, the kid come in and he asked his dad for the car keys? And the guy looked at him, his son, he looked at his son and he says, son, you, you got a robe on and you got sandals on and you got that long hair I just don't get along with. He says, uh, he says you want the car keys? And uh, he says, yeah, dad, I want to go for a ride. He says, well, why are you wearing all that? Why are you looking like that? He says, I'm trying to be like Jesus. He says, well, then why don't you walk? He wouldn't get... <laughs> if you want to be like Jesus, you're not going to make it. You've got to be submissive to Jesus is what it is. You've got to exalt and acknowledge him as your Savior, as your bread, as your door, as your, uh, your goal, yes, but Jesus Christ made it all possible. And Jesus Christ is why we meet today on Sunday. This is why we talk about what we talk about. We talk about our sins being forgiven. 
By how? By belief and a simple faith in Jesus Christ. You exercise that faith and you put your trust not in science, you put your trust in God's word. You'll find that if you study history, some of the biggest accomplishments in science, the biggest contributions to science were given by Christian men who believed in Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And this I'm telling you from a secular perspective. There is, you can study these men's lives and the fact that the Thomas Edison tried to invent the light bulb over 300 times one of the reasons he didn't give up is he cited scripture and knew that he was on the right path. He says, a good man falleth many times when they ask him. That's a, that's a paraphrase of a simple verse in scripture. And he says, I'm going to try it again and again till I get it right. As we get the mind of Christ, which we talked about in Sunday school, you'll have more of an attitude, a better attitude about God's word. Jesus Christ, as he said himself, he was a personification of the word, and he died in obedience to the word because he loved, one, his heavenly father, two, he loved us. And so we have to, oh, I love God. I I think he's great. Yeah, there's a God. Okay, how far do you go in obedience to his word? That's where the shoe fits for us today. Obedience to God's word and salvation, obedience and trust in God's word and avoidance of sin in our lives and to have God's blessing and hand upon our lives. We have God's word that we can bank on and we need to exercise our faith in it and not reject it like the light bread that the Egyptians did. Sure, it's our substance, our our basic belief, But in reality, do we really eat of Christ's flesh and drink of his blood? Do we really put ourselves into that position in our lives where we trust what God would do, what God would have us to do? Or do we continue to hold the reins and the doors shut on certain areas of our lives? We have to allow God free course in our lives. I don't know where or what he's doing in your life, what door he's knocking on, what position he wants you to take, what decisions he wants you to make, but he certainly wants to be part of those positions and those uh, opportunities you have in front of you. Did you pray this morning? Did you ask God's will for your life this morning? Did you thank God for the fact that you're breathing air this morning? Did you thank him that you're going through a desert right now? Regardless of what's taking place in our society right now, he will promise, he promises to keep you alive if you keep your eyes focused on him. If we look around, we're falling in a hole. We can't look to the politicians for help. We can't look to history for help. We have to look to God for help. And that's what he wants. Let's all stand. I know it's not too lengthy of a message, but it's a simple message. I think sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Where's your faith today? Is it anchored in God's word? Is it anchored in God's plan? Is it anchored in science? Is it anchored in morality? It needs to be anchored solely in God's word. 
and God's love for you.